Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Amen. How are we, church? Very good to be gathered with you all this morning. Happy Mother's Day. I do just want to uh, pause, I guess, before we just jump right into the sermon. Um, I know being around church for uh, several years now that this is a day that has a lot of uh, great, beautiful and right honoring and celebration. And it is also a day that has a lot of uh, hard, hard things going on, a lot of sting um, of pain, sting, sting of loss in this moment. Um, and so I just want to kind of acknowledge in the room that I know we have plenty of both going on today. And there's some good... Uh, there's some good things that happen when we, when we recognize the tension that lies in that as we celebrate and rejoice moms and, and we weep with those who have maybe lost a mother recently or feel the sting of their mother's loss this time of year uh, every year. Uh, maybe it's infertility. Maybe it's regret of something that had happened in the past. Maybe it's an estranged um, child. But either way, just want to take a moment and pray. Um, I think there's some cool things we can do in this moment in prayer where we can just bring all of it to the foot of Jesus. And no matter what your need is today, whether it is celebratory or grief, um, God is going to meet you in this moment. So I just um, want to take a moment and if we could all just, I know we've, I know we've prayed a couple times this morning, but we're in church, right? So, I mean, you're the one who came to church today, so we can pray another time and we'll be all right. I'll tell you this too. We're going to pray again before it's all over at the very end of the service. So, um, It'll be called a house of prayer, right? So let's, uh, yeah, let's pray. God, we just, we do just thank you for, um, I guess, some levity in the moment that we do, we do recognize that it's not just Taylor, but a lot of us uh, needed a lot of help from moms growing up. And we are thankful for the moms of this house. Um, God, we honor them today and, and hopefully more than just one Sunday a year. We want to honor the moms um, who, who, are, who are mighty, who are wise, um, who, are, who are gentle and kind and loving, yet firm and honest. Um, God, and so we just pray for all the moms in the room. I pray that you would give them exactly what it is that they need in this season of their parenting, God. Uh, think about all the moms and friends of mine that are moms who are, who are pivoting to homeschool doing something they maybe thought they would never do or swore they would never do, God. And uh, I pray that you'd give them all the grace and all of the energy and all of the wisdom that they need to parent through this season. Um, I think about the moms who are at work and who are maybe wishing they had more time to spend with their kids. And just pray that you would bless their time that they do have with their kids, that you would make their uh, little moments that they get to spend with their kids powerful, uh, that they would have a huge influence um, of you on their kids, God. Um, Lord, I think of the moms who are, who are stay-at-home moms. Maybe they're not schooling right now. Maybe they're not at that stage yet, but maybe they're just uh, tired. Uh, maybe they are tired of cleaning up the same things every single day. Maybe they're tired of making the same meals every single week. Um, God, I pray that they would see the beauty uh, that is in motherhood and that they would have the same kind of vision for their kids um, that you can see, God, that our kids are not our own. Uh, they ultimately all just belong to you. And so, God, I pray that... Um, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be stagnant in our parenting. And I pray for the moms who are maybe feeling a little stagnant, that you would renew their vision that they have for their kids to see them as um, arrows in the quiver for the kingdom of God, getting ready to be sent out to, to make disciples wherever they go. Um, I do just, I want to lift up specifically, I guess, all those who are maybe battling infertility this morning, husbands and wives alike, um, people who wish they could be moms in this room and, and can't be. And uh, Lord, we just, we pray first and foremost for a healing touch from your Holy Spirit. 
um, that you would grant them the desires of their heart, that their church community would come around them in a way uh, that's profound but also important, um, to grieve with them while they grieve, and to, God, we, we ask for miracles to happen in this room, even now, um, for, for wombs to be made open and to be uh, available for, for a baby to come out. I pray that you'd grant the desires of some of the hearts of the women in this room, and maybe, maybe even for the ones who couldn't come to church today because it's such a hard day. Lord, I, I pray for the for, the, for the, all of us in the room who are maybe feeling the sting of a loss. Uh, maybe it's grief that's heavy on our heart this morning. And uh, God, what better place to come than into your presence and to ask that you would grant us a peace that is beyond our comprehension or understanding. And so I pray that that peace and that presence would fall in the room right now, uh, that we would know that we have a good God. We serve a good God who has, um, who has our not just our spiritual state in mind, but our emotions. He's holding our emotions and he's mindful of how we feel and how, we, um, how we're thinking. So I pray that you would be in this moment right now, God, and that you would, um, whatever we have for the rest of the day, whether it's a ton of fun or whether it's, it's not gonna be as fun, I pray that you would dwell in all of it, Jesus. We love you and we need you. And it's in your name we pray, amen. 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 So uh, like, like Taylor kind of mentioned, um, we're going to be talking about uh, global missions today, global outreach. We've been in this series called Life on Mission. And, and really, we've been all, uh, kind of all over the Bible, if you will, in talking about what does it look like to be an intentional disciple of Jesus Christ? I think uh, I'm totally of the persuasion that if you're not doing something with intentionality, you're going to drift somewhere you don't want to go. Like we have to kind of chart a course and set a course and set a vision. And, and man, we got to try and stick to that and reevaluate when we've come off of it so that we might be reminded and renewed in our spirit or in our passion to see the things that God has put on our heart come to fruition. And so even Caden kicking this series off uh, several weeks ago now, just asking the simple question like, are you, are you fishing for people? I've, have you kind of ceased uh, maybe your primary vision of your life before you met Christ? And have you adopted now his vision and mission for the kingdom of God in the world? Like, are we seeking to make disciples wherever we go? And we've talked about all these different ways and all these different implications of how that rolls out in our life. Uh, but today, what I want to talk about specifically is uh, this idea of global outreach or a church that is living on mission uh, to reach its hands to the ends of the earth. So I think over the last several weeks, what we've been talking about, loving your neighbor or, or going through these different uh, more contextually specific things to Loveland? How can we be on mission here in my life now? Um, I, I think it can be boiled down like this. I, I want to hopefully be a church that has a local impact and a global reach. So I don't think we need to forsake one for the other. I want to be a church that is known in this community. If, if we kind of take the pause in the series a little bit and come to this uh, event that we've done for the last uh, 10 plus years that we've called Faith in Action, and maybe you're newer to our church and you're not even sure what I'm talking about right now. Uh, Faith in Action was, was a Sunday morning where we closed down our services. We had no Sunday services here in the building. And instead we went out and we served our city all around at strategic places. But specifically, we felt called to go serve in schools. Many of you, I'm looking at the faces in the room. Uh, I have, I've painted next to you. I've, I've pulled weeds next to you. I've gotten blisters and thorns in my hands next to some of you, right? Um, and that was, that was a good and right thing. And hopefully we will be able to do that more. But right now in this season, still coming off of COVID, the school district has said, it's not the time to plan a large scale volunteer day. 
And so we cannot be doing faith and action in the way that we've done it in the past. But really, I would say faith and action, serving the school, that was never really the, the core vision of what that was all about. The core vision of what that was all about comes back to a statement that Kent felt stirred by the Spirit to say, man, if, if our church had to close, God forbid, for whatever reason, if our church had to close its doors today, would anyone else in this town care? And I think it's a good, compelling, right thing for us to think about. Man, if Good Shepherd ceased to exist this weekend, uh, would anyone beyond those who gather here on Sunday mornings even take notice? Hopefully, we are a church that is making an impact and getting out into the city that we get to call home, which is why you're starting to see some things about local outreach. But also, it's not just about local outreach. It's this idea of going beyond just locally, beyond just our state, and having a church that can reach with just the four or 500 people that gather in this building every weekend. How can we touch the corners of the earth? Right? And, and, and I, I got to be honest with you, when I first started coming to this church, I, I found that concept to be really weird. Really just kind of hard to wrap my brain around. Why, why is it that, that we would send as a church so much money, so many people in all these different places, not really ever getting to see the fruit of those resources being invested? Like, why would we just send these checks out? Aren't there more strategic things we could be doing here is maybe a question I would have asked when I was younger. And so why, why is the church, I mean, even if you don't know much about the church at large, you know that like American evangelicalism is somewhat uh, caught by this idea of being missional throughout the world that we call home. Like we're, we're, we're strategic and we are involved in all these ministries that aren't just local, but we, we have this desire to impact the world at large. And so why is that? Um, and I think that's the answer that I want to tackle today. And I also, also want to just give you some pathways that you can maybe get more involved in global outreach down the line. So the first reason why, um, and really the only reason why, that we are involved in global outreach, why we have a global missions department. If you don't know this, uh, Robin Parker, who is my mother-in-law, has been the global outreach pastor for the last uh, 20 years. 20 years. And so that was a core founding value of this church when we were founded 40 plus years ago. That when, when Glenn Brown founded this church, and if you remember, if you were here for the Here to Stay video, one of the few things that he felt like he needed to be specific about was, was in his time to kind of share in that video was the fact that Good Shepherd was founded with a heart for missions. So it's been in the DNA ever since we were founded as a church. And even still to this day, Robin does a magnificent job just continuing to nourish and feed our, our global partnerships that we have all around the world to make sure that we're not just sending out checks every month, even though, like, oh, praise God, sending out checks is not a bad thing. Like if y'all just went home today and there was a check for you in the mail, I don't think you would be upset, you know? But it's so much more strategic to be involved relationally where you're also partnering financially. And so we're not just sending checks, but we're building relationships with these ministries, with these key strategic points all around the world. And man, she has nourished that. Not a lot of, here's what I guess I'm trying to say. Not a lot of churches our size have somebody that's dedicated on staff to be involved in and nourishing global outreach. And yet we have for the past 20 years, since I was 12, <laughs> right? a long time we've been, we've been nourishing this. And, and a lot of, I'll tell you this, a lot of pastors we talk to, a lot of places we interact with in the community uh, ask us, how, how is it that you do so well with global outreach? And I'll say it's because we have somebody that's committed to it as what she does. That is what she is dreaming up and thinking up all the time is how can we be more deeply connected with the missionaries that we support? 
But again, why? Why? Um, the answer really simply is because the Bible tells us so. Um, so here we go. There, that's your answer for the morning, but we'll go and we'll look at it. Uh, Genesis chapter 12 is where you can open up if you have your Bible with us, with you today. I'm going to read the first several verses here. But before I even jump into it, I just kind of want to acknowledge something uh, that's, that's fun, I guess, that the Lord showed me this week that really has not much to do with my sermon, but I think it all integrates in with this series really well. Um, we talked about the Tower of Babel last week as we were talking about life on mission in, in, in the context of creativity and how human beings were made to be creative because they were made in the image of God, who is the ultimate creator, Right? And, and the, the fault of the Tower of Babel is not so much that humankind was trying to make this big tower. It was that they were trying to make it to bring glory to themselves. Hence, is, like that is exactly what's wrong with human creativity to today, is that we, we try to use all of the gifts that God's given us. All of our creative power at times can go into just building up a big name for ourselves, building up attention or reputation or prestige for us rather than rightly using those gifts that God has given us to bring worship and glory to him. So in Genesis chapter 11, what you see is the Tower of Babel happens where, where human, humans come together and they all have one language and so they work really well together and they build this tower up, again, to make a name for themselves. And God says, nope, not going to happen. And he confuses all of their language. Now this isn't the beginning of different people groups. We've already seen throughout uh, before this in Genesis that God has made different people groups. But this is definitely a moment where, where human beings as a species, we are scattered and we are, we are made to be different. Different cultures are created because now there's different language. And if language is kind of the base building block of all culture, then all of a sudden now we have all these different cultures and all these different ethnos or people groups that are now scattered around the world. So in this moment here, Genesis chapter 11 is the Tower of Babel where that starts and that happens. And because of sin, creativity is used selfishly and God scatters everybody. But then right away in Genesis chapter 12, God speaks this to a guy named Abram. He says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So much faith in that statement. Go to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, read this line, all the families, all the people, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So if you can kind of pull back from just this one verse and you can see the narrative arc that's going on in scripture where all of a sudden now we have all this scattering of humankind and God says right in the next chapter, he says, and I'm going to bring this all back together and I'm going to use your family, Abram, right? So flash forward all the way uh, to Revelation. If we look, if we're looking all the way back to Genesis and we look all the way forward to Revelation, this is what God says. Um, this is what God reveals to John about what's going to be happening in heaven. He says, after this, I looked and behold, there was a great multitude that nobody could number from what? Every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. So if you have the great undoing of what happened at Babel is now all of the nations, all of the people have been gathered back together, not to selfishly indulge themselves in their own creativity, but to lay their life down in worship in, in like reflection of who the lamb is. 
So we have this, have this, like this great juxtaposition of thought where you have Babel and you have humankind spreading, but now you have the throne room of heaven where all people, tribes, nations, tongue are brought together to worship the Lord, not to think of themselves selfishly. Isn't it this beautiful picture? That, that that is ultimately what God is doing throughout the whole book, Genesis to Revelation, is he is reconciling his people back to himself. And this is not, this is not like a, a, a American-centric idea. Because you see here at the, at, the, at the end, we don't just have, I mean, you got to imagine, there's not these kind of like political lines or boundaries in the nations as we think of them today. What God is saying here is not, he's, I'm bringing all different types of people to me. And I'm going to get glory from all the nations being gathered together. All tribes, all tongues, every language is going to be brought back together to worship me. So you and I then, we don't, we don't find ourselves sitting in that day. That day's yet to come in Revelation. We also aren't one of Abram's homies. We're not rolling around then. We, we live in a time somewhere between those two, right post after when Jesus has been on the earth. And so Jesus himself, what, is, what does he tell us to do? How do, we, how do we import in this kind of conversation of having a global reach into what Jesus has given us to do? Uh, again, it's really clear. The... the um, I was reading some research this week that Barna has put out um, where talking about millennials, okay? Serving millennials. This is no attempt to just dog on millennials, okay? I am a millennial, all right? I, I am in this camp. Um, the, the research showed that uh, polling, again, millennial Christians, so asking people who believe in Jesus, um, hey, what's the most important thing um, or who has been the most important part of your life? And it's like Jesus, 97% of them said, Jesus is the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me. So I, I do really have questions about what those other 3% said, <laughs> you know? Like if you're asking Christians and their answer is different than Jesus, I mean, you don't have to be in much Sunday school to know you're wrong. Um, anyways, that's actually not what's, that. I just found that frustrating. It wasn't what was fascinating. What was fascinating was of those same polled people, so 97% said Jesus is the most amazing thing that has ever happened to me. Uh, it's like 46, 47% of them said, um, I don't think I should tell people what I believe and project my faith onto them. So you can feel this kind of rift that we're in as Christians in the cultural context that we're sitting in today, that I'm, I'm receiving on the one hand that Jesus is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And yet because of our culture, because of the way that we're told that we're bigoted or, or xenophobic and we're afraid of other cultures, we're afraid to actually project our faith onto other people. <laughs> it's just like, and I just want to remind you, like that doesn't play out in any other environments of your life. Like if you find a good ice cream cone at a good, like if you're like, man, Dairy Delight, tell you what, that place is the jam. You're not keeping that to yourself. You, you are going to, it's going to be a personal mission for you once you first have had that ice cream to go tell everybody about it. You know what I mean? Like this, I'm just saying it doesn't import into any way other, like any other way that we think. And yet with our faith at times, because I think the American church has been a little guilty of trying to not just take the gospel to other cultures, but to take American culture into other cultures. And do you feel how that's different, Right. Every culture has its bents toward destruction. Every culture has its flaws. Every culture has things that are wrong with it, American culture included. But what we're trying to do consistently with global missions, I'll even tell you the most recent partnership that we have, they are over right now in Thailand trying to get into Myanmar. Myanmar is one of the most unreached people groups over there in Southeast Asia. 
but they didn't just all of a sudden pick up and go so that they could bring things and ideas like Walmart or uh, soccer on Saturday mornings or other American things. That's not what they're trying to do. They rather have spent years in a Burmese-speaking church in Greeley getting themselves assimilated into that culture so that they could most effectively bring the gospel then into that culture over there. Do you, and do you, that is how we're constantly thinking about missions. Not how can we make those people look more like us, but how can we bring the gospel to those people? It would be a huge detrimental flaw to try and take our American culture there, but it would be a right thing to try and bring, to try and bring heaven's culture anywhere. So here's like, I think sometimes we're just afraid because we're like, oh, I don't want to like, I don't want to like whitewash people is kind of the, the phrase that you'll hear from uh, a progressive leaning side. Like, like, oh, we shouldn't be taking Americanism over places. Um, I, I do not think that, that being white is the best thing ever. I do think that Jesus is the best thing ever. And so I, I'm not just going over when I've gone on short-term trips to Guatemala, to China, and to, to Haiti. I'm not trying to get them to think more American. I'm trying to get myself and everyone around me to think more like heaven because heaven's culture is the only culture with no flaws. Heaven's culture is the one that we're all trying to assimilate into. It's not wrong to be for cultural assimilation. It's just wrong to make America the centerpiece story of the gospel. Does that make sense? And so this is how we as a church think about global missions. Because even Jesus himself, if we go back to the timeline, right? You and I are in a time a couple thousand years post-Jesus, which to the Lord, a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years. So, you know, Jesus has been gone two days. Here we are. Jesus says this in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. That same uh, Barna research study said that about 25 to 30% of uh, millennials right now don't know what the Great Commission is. Christian millennials, 25, 30%. Uh, and I'm just like, please, Lord, not in this church. All right, we're going to just keep hammering the Great Commission all the time. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus said to them, all authority. How much of the authority? All of it has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of, what are those next two words? All nations, all ethnos, all people group. Again, Jesus isn't speaking to the globe that you and I now look at when we're studying world geography today. But he's saying all the different kinds of people throughout the world, that's where you're gonna go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Until that day comes, until that picture of revelation where all people, tribe, nation, tongue are gathered around the throne, worshiping Jesus, he's gonna be with us always. And that is one of the greatest promises of scripture for every single person who walked in this building today is that God has promised with all of his authority that he will be with you. He'll be with you. Jesus then um, reiterates this point. If you don't know much about your Bible, um, the book of Acts was written by Luke. So the same Luke who wrote Luke, it's kind of Acts is, is, is like Luke 2 almost. And it's called the Acts of the Apostles. You could probably also just as fairly understand it to be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because this isn't when the Holy Spirit was created. The Holy Spirit wasn't created. He's part of the Godhead, uh, eternal in his nature. He was not created. But in the book of Acts, we do see the Holy Spirit kind of break loose in a new way with the, with the birth of the church. Jesus ascends to heaven. And now all of a sudden, these, these guys, these a few hundred people are left going, well, Jesus just left. Now what do we do? And Jesus, after giving them the great commission, reiterates this point to them at the first part of the book of the Acts. Oh, 
the first part of the book of Acts that Luke captures for us. He says, but you, he says, wait here in Jerusalem and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So why do we take the gospel to the ends of the earth as a church? Again, because the Bible tells us so, right? Because he says, Jerusalem, it's the city they're in. Judea, Samaria is the region that they're close to. And then from there, you go out to the ends of the earth. Here's just a couple fun things that are happening with our missions crew right now. I, we have a, Robin has a whole team of people that help her out and they are amazing. And I'm so pleased with what's going on in missions right now. Um, last night, I just went to uh, Life for the Innocents uh, gala. And so Life for the Innocent, if you haven't heard of them, they are, uh, they are probably one of the most strategic partnerships we have um, because their mission is just so, it's so compelling. Every time we go to something that um, their director is speaking at, the American one or the Southeast Asia director, uh, every time I go, I'm always like, how can I just give you all of my money and still live, <laughs> you know? Uh, because what they're doing is they are consistently rescuing, renewing, and restoring children who are caught in sex trafficking. Not just sex trafficking, organ trafficking, other forms of human trafficking. Um, and that, that has, believe it or not, that has exploded and it has become such a more prevalent problem uh, coming out of COVID. So there, there are, there are they, uh, we just heard last night, it is the fastest growing um, thing right now is human trafficking. It's the fastest growing crime is human trafficking. Isn't that heartbreaking? And so we're hearing stories about how, uh, you know, Life of the Innocent uh, just is coming off of uh, rescuing 2,700 kids at once. I, I have logistical questions about like, how many buses did that take to get that many kids out of some place where they're at? But I I'll, at the end of the day, I don't need to know. 27, I, and that's consistent. It feels like almost every quarter I'm hearing about 2,000 kids, 1,800 kids, 2,300 kids being rescued out of trafficking. And so we're at their gala last night. It's their big kind of annual fundraiser. There's a room of 400 people. I first of all, I was so proud of how many Good Shepherd people were there, not just even with the church, but they were there from their own businesses. We had business leaders that were there sponsoring tables, raising money for Life for the Innocent. And it was awesome. What was more awesome was in this room of 430-ish people or whatever, their biggest gala yet, by the way, 300K. They raised 300K in one night. That's gonna go directly to rescuing almost 200 kids. Almost 200 kids are going to get uh, fully rescued. Uh, they bring them into this kind of restorative process once they rescue them because a lot of them are, are near death or very sick, different STDs or I mean, whatever. They've got all of it going on and they're treating them, they're rehabilitating them and they're making sure they feel safe, making sure they know how to eat again. Can you imagine? And then after that, they're bringing them into adoptive homes. And so 1500 bucks is what it costs to, to, to bring a kid. And here's, here's why I bring some of that up is because we as a church have decided and committed that no matter what happens financially, I know there's like all this like, oh, there's a looming recession coming, pastor, you know? And it's like, okay, we're still, no matter what, gonna be giving 10% of everything that comes in right back out the door to global missions. That's been in our constitution and bylaws for a long, long, I don't even know how long, but we're gonna keep honoring that. And really we actually run it more like a 13, 14% clip of every dollar that comes in goes right back out the door to global missions. And so here's why I bring up the life of the innocent win is because you were a part of it. You were a part of it. 
If you participate financially here, your money went there. You are, you are doing what Jesus told us, laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You're not putting all of your investment here where thieves and moth and rust destroy, but rather you're laying up treasures for yourself in heaven where none of that stuff is going to be defiled or tainted at all. And so as you're giving here, your money is going out and making an impact there. That's an, and you need to know that. You need to be reminded of it. That's why we do the global glance. You know, I joke about it almost all the time with staff. I'm like, is it the global glance? Is it the missionary moment? Is it the outreach optics? Like, what are we doing here, you know? Um, but Robin does the global glance every third Sunday of the month, not, not so that we can just kind of give you another thing on the screen to look at, but so that you can be consistently reminded of where you are making an impact around the world. Because you're there. You may never go, but your money's there. That's an amazing thing. The other fun thing that we have going on with missions right now, there's, there's two others. Uh, Pastor Marcel, uh, we, we cannot have a, f- a favorite missionary. It's against the rules. But if we did, he would, he would be in the running for sure. It, yeah, uh, he, he's right up there. The dude is the man. He is, he is a church planter, entrepreneur. He has this vision for Haiti that just will not quit. If you don't know much about the nation of Haiti, it is one of the poorest nations in the Caribbean. Um, it is... It is constantly under just political strife as it has so much corruption politically going on. It is economically just so poor. Um, And I just, I love getting around Pastor Marcel because no matter the brokenness that surrounds him in that country, he is just unrelenting, unwavering in his desire to see the kingdom of God flourish in Haiti. Like he's training up pastors, training up leaders. He's trying to create businesses so that other Haitians can have businesses that they're working and they're contributing. And, and his, one of his biggest problems, you should know this as, as a partner with Haiti, a partner with Marcel, one of his biggest problems is not the corrupt government, even though that is a problem. It's not just the limited and, and, and like restricted access to resources like fuel and electricity and food. Yes, that's all a problem. One of his biggest problems is that leaders keep getting raised up and then they see the temptation to run to America to make a name for themselves. Or they keep coming up here because they, they can be more prominent here. Or they can finally have the platform or the ability to escape out of this place. And Marcel is just unrelenting and is like, guys, we need to build here. The kingdom's here. God, is, God has called us here. He's placed us in Haiti here. And so as you're praying for him, pray that good godly leadership would raise up in that country and would stay and would have the same kind of vision that he has. I mean, he just, he can see heaven in Haiti, even though it's, it's sometimes nowhere near it. And it's beautiful. And I just love getting around him. He's going to be here next week. He's just, he's going to be here to hang out. He'll be worshiping with us on Sunday morning. Uh, I've been to church. When they worship, they sing in Creole down there. It is powerful. It's awesome. I don't stand any of it, but I, I understand enough to know the spirit of God is showing up down there the same he is here, right? He's going to be here worshiping with us next week. And that is going to be so fun to have him. The other thing just to put on your radar for missions is every few years as we can, uh, COVID has certainly impacted this a little bit, but we love to try and find a week, 10 days worth of time where we can actually bring pay to bring all of our missionaries here and we can give them a chance to hang out with you and you can get to meet them, but also so that they can just rest and be replenished. Missionary work is, is tough work. They, they never get a break. There is no eight to five kind of slot for missionary work. They are always being demanded, always being taxed, always being depleted. And so we get to bring them in here for 10 days and we get to send them up to Rocky Mountain National Park. And some of them, you know, during that missions conference, it's like the first time they've seen snow and they like freak out. And it's just, it's amazing. It's an amazing time. And again, that is, 
you guys helping participate and contribute to that so that they can have a place, not just that, again, sends them checks, but a place they can come and they can feel like it's an extension of home, right? So I think the question that always kind of comes up with global outreach is, man, okay, like how, how, how could I get more involved? How could I get more involved? Here's, here's four quick ways that I know anyone could just decide to jump in and get involved if they wanted to. First, the first one would be um, participate with us as a church financially. That's a weird thing to say. Um, yeah, it is, I guess, if you're afraid to talk about money. But guess what? Here's the deal. No plates getting passed today. We're kind of operating under the, uh, the principle, like, if you want to give here, you'll figure out how. You know? Like, we're not passing out forms or buckets. Nothing against that. If that's what your church growing up did, we're just saying, man, I think if you want to, if you want to tithe here, you'll find the bucket. It's not going to be that hard, right? And I'm just, I'm, the invitation for the believer is not, to, is not to demand the church does things at a consumer level, but to participate at a family level. And God, God has given um, the, the, the principle of the tithe so that we don't, like this is, this is how I approach the tithe in my own household. I, I, we do it monthly. Katie and I do it monthly so that we can keep our fingers off of our stuff and go, God, it's yours. It's yours. It's yours. Every month, we're just reminding ourselves because my fingers left unattended tend to just cleanse around to stuff and try and hold on to it. And so I participate financially, not just for um, what Jesus is doing out there, but so that he can also check my own heart every month. So that's an option for you to get more involved. You just contribute uh, by tithing in the house. The second option is to pray frequently. Pray frequently. This is one every single person, I'm just begging you, would you spend time praying for our missionaries? I don't have time to highlight all of them, but there's a scrolling TV on the other side of that wall right there that is just constantly showing you what the, who the missionaries are and what they're doing and what their prayer requests are. Robin updates it every month. And so you can just see that and I would just jot down names. When she does the global glance, I would just write down, take a picture of the slide and go spend some time praying for that person because your prayers are powerful and you may never go in person, but you can show up spiritually by praying. You can, you can make an impact by praying. Our small group, several months back, we just said, hey, uh, we're gonna commit time praying as a small group for something every day of the week. Thursdays is praying for the missionary day. So we just rotate through different missionaries. If one of them's here, we're praying for them. We just are constantly saying, I, I don't know what it looks like for you. Maybe it's every day you spend five minutes praying for a missionary. Maybe it's once a week. Maybe it's once a month you're writing down the global glance and you're trying to take notes on how you can pray for that person. I don't know what it is, but I'm begging every single one of you to pray. Pray for our missionaries. The third thing that I would say is everyone, everyone should go at least once. Like we, we haven't been able to go on a short-term mission trip recently. We're hoping to line some up here in the near future because of COVID and because of vaccines and because of all that stuff. But I, I would just urge you when the chance comes, go at least once. Like it, it will change your perspective on the world. Like, let me just say it this way. It's really hard to go to Haiti for a week and to come back and to complain about America. Does America have her issues? Yeah, sure. Things to complain about, obviously. But once you go and you, and you live in another place that's not here, you actually tend to start to appreciate home a lot more. And I'm not saying we go just because we want to have that experience for ourselves. You go so that you would carry the burden that our missionaries are already carrying all around the world. Because once I've once I sat down with Marcel and I've shared a meal with him and I've walked the, the streets that he walks around on and I see the people that he's ministering to all the time, man, that, it's not just a picture in a, of a person that I'm praying for. I'm, I'm walking in my mind back through the places where I walked and I'm praying for them and I'm more reminded and, I'm, and now I'm, I'm shouldering that burden with him, right? I'm consistently just reminded in a different way than if I've never gone before. 
And so maybe you're physically, financially, you're unable to go. Here's what I would say. Um, we have almost every quarter, maybe every six months, we have a missionary who comes through and we maybe we'll do a little luncheon sometimes. Maybe we'll do a little prayer night sometimes. I would just invite you, come, come get to meet them. They're not just some idea on paper somewhere around the world. They are people that, that are doing amazing things and you would, be, you would benefit to hear their story. So come and participate in something that we're doing. When we do the missions conference, show up to stuff, pay attention and hear what God is doing around the world. The fourth thing that I'll say is that we all have to be listening to God's call. Um, I was, as I was studying for this sermon this week, I uh, came across one of David Platt's messages on, um, on global missions. And he actually pointed out, I'd never seen this before, that, um, you know, Jesus, Jesus has pretty straight words at the end of Matthew, the Great Commission. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. And then Acts chapter one uh, rolls up and, and Jesus is like, hey, yeah, by the way, go. <laughs> like, go, go to the ends of the earth. And then you know what happens for like the next few chapters? Nobody goes anywhere. They all just hang. They all just sit there. You know what actually spurs on the church exploding out of the city of Jerusalem? It's Stephen's death as the first martyr. So Stephen is killed by, by Saul or under Saul's orders. And, and that fear is what drives Christianity to the ends of the earth. And it's this amazing thing. Like, like we, we will not as a church go into all the places we're called to go if we're not each individually listening to God's call that he puts on our heart. I think it's really, it's really fascinating studying kind of world religions and, and Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism. They're all pretty like actually geographically, like 95% of them exist in really specific geographical areas. So Muslims are all in the Middle East, right? Um, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, the, a lot of that is in Thailand and er, in India around those areas. Like that, those, they're all pretty geographically landlocked. You know what's not landlocked? The Church of Jesus Christ. Like, like we have almost equal representation as Christians in North America, South America, Africa, Europe, and Asia. I just, I want to remind every single person this morning, it is the gates of hell that should be afraid of the church listening to the spirit of God and moving forward on God's voice. Like we, we don't have gates. We don't have gates. We're on the offensive. It's not us who should be afraid. It's the enemy who should be afraid. The church of Jesus Christ is doing things all around the world. We might, we might have our issues. Things might be waning here in America a little bit. Can we call it what it is? Like we might be drifting off of it a little bit as a nation, but the church is exploding around the world amidst persecution. Maybe the best thing that could happen to the church in America is we got uncomfortable a little bit. Maybe the most important thing we could ever do is just say, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. I'm going to actually die to self, which is the invitation of the gospel. And I'm going to follow the call that God puts on my life. And here's what, I'm not saying that every single person is going to have to go out of this sermon and move somewhere. I'm just saying everyone's got to listen to the spirit of God. And maybe somebody will move. Maybe somebody will get called. I had friends sitting in first service who got called over to Rwanda to go help with an orphanage. I have other friends. I have a friend in this room right now. Follow the call that God put on his heart to go down with YWAM down in New Zealand. God, if you listen, God's going to speak. And if you're yielded and open, God's going to use you. And we've been talking a lot in this series uh, about being available to do whatever it is that God puts on our heart, right? So I don't know if that's, if that's crossing the counter at Starbucks to talk to the barista or if it's going to be crossing the Atlantic Ocean to go somewhere overseas. But if you listen, God will call you. God will speak, you and speak to you and he will equip you to do whatever it is that he calls you to do. So I, I would love if we could just stand and pray to close this service today. I, I, uh, I felt first service, 
you know, it's kind of a weird thing. Maybe it might be like just even a little bold, but maybe we just even leave a little space for the Holy Spirit to put a dream to go somewhere on God's heart right now. And so if you would, if you're open, you know, I don't, I don't know where it is. I don't, I don't have a map in mind of places I want this church to go. I don't have this desire, this vision to, to get into so many nations by such and such year. I just want to be a church that's open. I want to be a church that's open to whatever it is the Holy Spirit puts on our heart. And so if you would, would you just kind of pray boldly with me right now that, that we're, we're his. I'm actually just clay in your hands. God, we just lay ourselves down. Whatever it is that you have envisioned for us to do, God, whatever it is that you, um, wherever we wanna, you want us to go, whatever it is that you want us to do, God, we just, even right now in our heart, we say we're yours. And I pray specifically right now that you would give specific direction for people in this room. Maybe they're being called to be a missionary. Maybe they're called to just go have a conversation with a coworker. I don't know what it is, but right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to our church, that you'd fall in the room and that people would know you're here. I pray this first service, and I just, I, I pray, God, that um, we'd have parents who are willing to hear that their kids are called to go somewhere. Maybe there's some high schoolers, some college kids who are called to be missionaries and they're called to go. They're called to risk their life for the sake of the gospel. And I, I just know as a parent, God, I don't want to get in the way of the calling that you have on my kid's life. And so I pray that right now, as parents in the room, we would be yielded to whatever it is that you call our kids into. And Jesus, we just ask that no matter what it is that you want to do, our answer is yes. Even just right now, if you can kind of just mentally just picture my yes is on the table. God, whatever it is that you speak, my yes is on the table. I'm ready to go wherever you want me to go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 